of the conversation, Mark. It's uh, great to have you on. I mean, you were the uh, you're a Green Party activist. You were the Green Party parliamentary candidate in 2019 for for Guildford. So it's fantastic to have you on. Yeah, thank you. It's, it's good to be on. So, of course, the the biggest political issue I would say at the moment is the energy crisis um and is sort of energy bills as well and um of course everything going on in ukraine at the moment um and of course russian oil is a massive part of that so really i, I just the, the first part of what i wanted to ask you was actually about the energy price cap i mean the idea behind it is to keep energy bills down to effectively ensure that consumers aren't paying you know extortionate amounts but right now they very, very clearly are. And, and I read your article on on why we need to, to help people with alternative means rather than just freezing the energy price cap. So would you be able to explain a bit sort of about why you think, you know, that there are better ways to do it than just freezing the energy price cap? Yeah, of course. Um, I Ultimately, I think the energy cap has been um, in the media as much as the rising energy costs. It's been in every article about costs that households are paying. Obviously, it's referencing the rise in the energy cap, and largely, I think that's driven the um, the sort of the policy direction of uh, particularly the opposition parties like Labour and Liberal Democrats, and also the Greens in targeting the price cap as something in which as a mechanism to support households. What I find quite interesting about it is. Yes, it effectively works. So you could freeze the um, cap as Labour and Lib Dems are proposing, or you could reduce the cap back to pre-October 21 level as Green Party proposing. And yes, those savings will then be directed um, towards the consumer. So it, it works. It does exactly what Labour and Lib Dems wanted to do. It does exactly what Green Party wanted to do. What's interesting is that um, the, the costs associated with, with such policy but also the knock-on effects that it would have within the market. So since sort of mid-2021, we've seen a massive increase in the market in Europe towards renewable energy sources, wind and solar in particular. That's that's market-driven, um, you know, and that's exactly how the free market's meant to work. As you know, it gets more expensive and prohibitively expensive, particularly, the market moves itself towards cheaper alternatives. So that's where we currently are. The Green Party has proposals on carbon taxes, for instance, that is meant to actually do this exact same thing, influence the, the market to move things away from carbon intense products, particularly fossil fuels. So the idea now that we are willing to subsidize the market effectively, the market price of gas to support households seems a bit backwards because we're going to neutralize that market and we're going to all of a sudden reduce the, uh, the so urgency of the acceleration away from fossil fuels to things like solar and wind. So then it comes on to then, well, you know, we do need to support households. Of course, we need to support households, but is there an alternative mechanism that we can look at? And when we're starting to talk about 42 billion uh, to freeze the energy cap, that's the, Lib Dem, that's the Lib Dem quote on the cost of it. 42 billion is a lot of money. We've got 27.8 million households in the UK, and we've got just under 5 million of them universal credit. We could afford to give every household a thousand pound directly, which is what Lib Dems is saying that those households are saving per year um, through the price cap freeze. And we can also afford on top of that to give an additional thousand pound to every household on universal credit. And that will still leave us 10 billion short of what the Lib Dems are quoting their price freeze cap will be. And then the price cap only applies to households. What about businesses? So that 10 billion extra that you've got left from their policy, you can then use to target businesses. 
you know, 350,000 small businesses that effectively come under the small business rates relief, we can give those support 10,000 pounds, up to 10,000 pounds per business, for instance. Again, there were 400,000 additional businesses brought under the COVID rates relief. We can then support those businesses in addition. So there are mechanisms where we can now support businesses as well as households while actually ending up with a policy that's cheaper than freezing the price cap, which would, would then have no inadvertent effect on the market and the rate of acceleration away from fossil fuels. But am I surprised that Labour and Lib Dems didn't think about this? Not so much. But am I surprised the Greens would fall into the trap of effectively subsidising gas? Absolutely. It seems it seems absolutely crazy direction for particularly people with an environmental focused um, sort of mindset to take when we have viable alternatives of just giving the money directly to households to support them. So do you think then it's it's perhaps more of a, at least for the Green Party, sort of a soundbite that, you know, everyone knows about the energy price cap, you know, they deal with it. It's something um not quite a, a physical thing but it's very much something people understand they know about um so do you think that maybe it was almost the idea of a policy that sounded good that almost ran away with it even if the specifics of it um weren't perhaps as good as as say you know directly giving people the actual financial support yeah i think there's definitely an element of that i think that's um they said price cap have been so much in the press and the increase in the price cap had been you know a real focus of of articles and you know all over the place in media reports there wasn't a single media report that didn't go without mention of the price cap increase so it is one that immediately chimed with voters it's extremely popular from a voter's perspective completely understandably because they can see directly the savings and there is more complexity around arguing for just giving that money directly to um, to households, because then you have to go down the line of, well, you know, we're just giving people money. And then is that real uh, justified? And you know, it becomes more complex as, a, as something to package up and give to voters. Um, so I, I, I'm sure that that is largely the reason why we've gone down this price cap route, both the Green Party reacting to something that Labour and Lib Dems announced, but also the reason why Labour and Lib Dems went that direction in the first place. So do you think then as well that the, the Lib Dem figures of, you know, how much they think it would cost and how much they also think a, a windfall tax could actually, you know, raise in the end, do you think that they are realistic figures um, or do you think, you know, are they either over or underdone, you know, is, is there, how, how accurate do you think they are? I think they're closer to, um, to the real value. I think uh, Labour labor policy comes under 30 billion. To uh, to do the um, to fit the price cap, and it also comes under. I think they've quoted something like um, it's based on TUC um, of something like just under three billion to nationalise the energy companies, which is just absurd. Um, you know, you're talking at least ten times that. So um, I think Lib Dems have got it a little bit closer. Um, it it could be potentially. Um, the windfall tax is very depends on exactly how it's applied. I think you could recoup a lot of it. You won't be able to recoup all of it. I think the Green Party have mechanisms, um, which I think would be in distribution of wealth, which would be perfect in these circumstances. We have land value tax proposals rather than a wealth tax. We potentially go down the route of land value tax instead, which I think is a lot more um, easy to administer as a, as a government in terms of a tax policy. Um, but in combination with the windfall tax, we comfortably cover um, this money we're talking about uh, for support packages. Um, so, yeah, I think 
Lib Dems are just about just about there, I think, in that 40, 42 billion or, or so policy. Uh, so the quote cost, I think, is, is about right. So sort of moving on in terms of a, a more long term solution, I mean, of course, at the moment, there have been almost two competing arguments. One is investment in renewable energy um, and effectively going towards cleaner sources of energy and using that investment to start to, to bring energy prices down. And the other is, um, of course, North Sea oil fracking, um, effectively going down, or I should say, back to that previous route. Um, and, you know, and, and of course, some of the arguments around, you know, North Sea oil and fracking are effectively that if we don't do that now, then obviously we will push people into, a, you know, energy poverty and, and all of the rest of it. And, you know, it's a, it's a much easier thing to do. And, and I could go on with sort of, you know, all the arguments that have been used. So, you know, how do we kind of ensure that we continue investing in that renewable energy and, and sort of what are the main arguments against those um, people calling for a you know, return to those days of sort of North Sea oil and, and fracking? Well, I think it's, um, you know, the, the first thing to understand before the, before the price of oil came up, the, um, you know, the, the efficacy for companies to do fracking and, and to um, extract oil in North Sea oil, it just wasn't financially viable. So you know, the long-term financial viability of these projects is really questionable. You know, they would require government subsidies to make them even financially viable for firms to actually take them up on in the first place, let alone all the complications with fracking that come about from local oppositions and you know, they'd have to run roughshod over local de uh, democracy. Um, so it, it's, it's really challenging. Fracking in particular is really, really challenging to, to get off the ground if the government left it well alone and let the market drive it. The government does have the option to subsidise and support directly, um, but my question there would be that they they could support fracking, but getting fracking off the ground and um, you know, with with direct sub government subsidies, they might as well push straight into offshore wind. I mean, the the sort of timescales we're talking about are very similar, um, so there doesn't seem to be to me an obvious reason why we would have to go down the route of uh, of fracking in particular. Um, Extraction of North Sea oil is a little bit different, but again, the costs that we're requiring from the government, the, there might be a short-term gain and short-term viability financially, but once you go after three or four years, the price of gas will come back down again, then actually that viability completely falls away again. So it's much more beneficial from the long-term, even the medium to long-term um, policy for the government, if they're gonna spend money and direct money towards subsidies to direct them towards renewable energy that gives you sort of immediate short-term um, sort of gains. Um, and probably the best way to do that is to pass the money on to um, sort of local democracies, local councils, to look at local projects and um, you know, try and try and come up with these cooperative approaches, government-supported cooperative approaches to energy. And they can be disseminated very rapidly and amongst local communities. Um, so I, I, think, I think that's largely the way to go. The market will ultimately drive. The conservatives aren't going to fiddle too much with with uh, with the market. We know we know what they're all about, um, and the market will continue to drive towards renewables. I have no doubt about that. Providing the conservatives, and so far they have, um, sort of avoid going down the route of um, uh, freezing the price cap and starting to adjust and subsidise that cost of gas directly, then I think we'll see very rapidly companies, particularly large companies that have both an energy um, you know, or fuel production arm, as well as a utilities arm, so things that people like, like British Gas, 
I think we'll see very rapidly them backing large scale uh, renewable projects. Um, so I think, generally speaking, the prospects of renewable energy looks pretty good in the in the short to medium term if the government leaves well alone. The talk of um, North Sea oil and fracking suggests to me that maybe they won't, but we'll have to wait and see. So obviously the part of it is there's this balance to meet between investing in sort of renewable energy and, you know, subsidising it even if need be, and also supporting people now. And, and they're, they're very difficult things because on the one hand, it is the, the here and the now problem of people who genuinely can't afford their energy bills. And on the other hand, investing in effectively the solution, you know, it is an energy crisis and the way to get out of it is to produce more energy. So, you know, how do we balance those two? Because I mean, I think we found, especially as a, you know, policy-wise, it's very difficult because, of course, you have those immediate problems, but you also have the solution to it. And if you don't fix that that underlying problem, then the the bills are going to go up to an extent where it will be, you know, more and more difficult for, for the government to kind of help out. Yeah, I th I think we've got to we've got to look at things. Um, what what can we what can we do over the next six months, um, in, both in terms of tax and support of our households? So windfall tax, windfall tax makes perfect sense. All of a sudden, these these firms are making, and not the utility companies. Let's bear in mind the, the talk of nationalising these utility companies. You know, they're not the ones who are making loads of profits. So, if you nationalise a utility company, then what you're going to end up doing is the government's going to end up being paying for its cost of um, importing gas and energy way more than what the market can afford, which means effectively the government's going to lose money. So you will nationalise them and lose money on a monthly basis. You know, so the utility companies aren't the problem, but the big gas, gas and oil giants, you know, they're obviously making a lot of money as this price has gone up. It's not in their control. It wasn't in their forecast. So a windfall tax makes perfect sense. And I don't think I've ever seen a business owner come out and almost green light a windfall tax for his own company, as, you know, as we've seen recently. It's um, the, the biggest sort of yes, come and tax us I, you know, I, I've ever seen. So that windfall tax makes perfect sense. But the windfall tax is very specific. It's about the increasing cost of gas prices. So it makes sense that the entire amount of that windfall tax is then distributed back down to households to support them during this energy crisis. And what I wouldn't want to see is a windfall tax where we use part of it to subsidize and or to support people now, and then part of it planned with investment. We don't need to worry about that. Let's just windfall tax them now for what their profits are now. Can think about that as direct support for the households. And then we can look at other tax policies to raise investment. Um, and I don't think I don't think these sort of combined um, sort of private and um, government um, plan investments, things like they've done with Sizewell are a bad thing necessarily. I think passing on that um, price is based based on um, based on the strike price as a, as a recouping cost. I don't think it's necessarily an issue. Um, for instance, the strike price agreed for Hinkley right now looks really, really good for, for consumers. Um, when it was only a year ago, we were worrying about it being way too high. So um, I don't think it's necessarily a bad way of funding it. And it does mean that we don't actually have to spend a massive amount of public money right now to, to get these big investments into sort of low energy solutions. So there are there are solutions there are both solutions to supporting us now there are solutions in the medium term i think we can separate them out and and fund them through various different fat taxes 
So, I mean, one of the big solutions that's been kind of put forwards at the moment um, with the energy crisis has, of course, been nationalisation. Um, and I especially think um, on the left, it seems to be one of the big things, one of the big solutions um, is, you know, if we nationalise the, the main energy companies, then that will that will basically, you know, solve most of the issues that we're having. And, and that's kind of been the message so far. So do you think that that is the solution? Do you think the money could be spelt, spent, you know, on, on other projects? What's what's kind of your view on, on energy nationalisation? So I, I'll, I'll start with on a, on a ideological perspective. I absolutely support um, the public services um, should be public owned. There's a there's a um, just a purely philosophical perspective that utilities, you know, and, and also things like train companies and you know bus run companies the then then they should not be run for profit you take take a bus service for instance that um that feeds a village um that's relatively remote that will never be something that's financially going to make any money so that's why we see these sort of um but you know these these villages become isolated because they don't have public uh, public tra uh, transport we shouldn't have to take financial decisions as part of, you know, as part of this provision of a service. It should be expected that these services are provided. So, and it's the same with utilities companies. So it's the same with energy and it's the same with water. We should be supplying these. These people have a right to these at a reasonable price that they can afford. And, and that's, a, that's for the government to ensure. So from an ideological perspective, yes, it makes perfect sense to publicly own them. Do I support nationalizing them right now? No, is the answer. There's a time and a place to do it. In the middle of an energy crisis, it's not. So Labour put the cost at 3 billion, but just to give you another idea, CPS, so Centre for Policy Studies, put the cost at 55 billion. So we have no idea what the cost of this is, but what I can tell you is it's not 3 billion. If you just look at the uh, value of the companies, that, the big five companies that they're talking about, you can't nationalize those for 3 billion. It won't work. You nationalize them right now then what you've got to do is you've lumped yourself into a position where you are now going to continually subsidize the cost to the consumers so for the next six months you're going to lose money these aren't profit making utility companies especially if you're freezing the price cap so you're going to then continually lose money on something that you own and you might then make money in the future fine but you've just wasted probably 50 billion of the public purse on doing this right now when we can do it at a later point so yes nationalize the energy companies i think that's that's the way to go but right now is not the time to do it so actually one thing i was interested in so i'm, I'm in wales at the moment and we have a very interesting setup because of course england has privatized utilities scotland is nationalized um of course being the the, the different one here we have a non-for-profit that runs um, the utility companies here. So, and it, that has been, you know, on and off kind of suggested as another alternative model in the, the mix of, you know, either nationalizing or privatizing. So do you think that's something that has any sort of any merit or any possibility of working? Or do you think that um, in the end, it comes down to, to sort of the big two options? Uh, I think it does. Uh, I think it's a it's a it's an interesting model. Wales is a very very interesting in in how well um, connected it is with England. There are there are shared services between them. It's much more complicated to split things out um, in in Wales compared to say Scotland. Um, but I think it's a model that can work. 
the the thing that needs to be uh, thought about is exactly the same with say rail um, is that you can you can run energy to uh, energy providers you, uh, the suppliers for not for not for profit but the national grid underneath as well has to be considered who owns that then how the future investment then works on top of that if you if you um, nationalize everything everything falls under public ownership you can take the money that is raised from the um from selling some of the energy to both businesses and households and use that to directly invest into um into other uh, energy production so um, things like in wales example for example the swansea uh, tidal bay lagoon project for instance um, that could have been something that was directly funded off the back of um, supplying energy publicly. But because you have that disconnect between running things through a not-for-profit organization, then you don't have that, that those monies reinvested into directly into future projects. What you do have is you have uh, in, uh, um, bills, support for bills immediately. So the, the bills stay pressed low at basically cost um, but then you, you do lose that investment point. So could energy bills be a little bit higher than, than they are run at cost, for instance, say two years ago before the price caps increased? Yes, I think they could be. I think you could squeeze them up a little bit so you can then reinvest into, into it. And I think, I think that's why it's, I'd favor in the long run nationally owned um, say utilities. Um, so the, the final question I have is, is uh, of course, on nuclear power. I mean, it's something we, we've spoken about actually before this even. Um, but of course, it's it's one of the big ones that's currently being talked about as sort of a, uh, you know, an answer to the, the energy crisis. And, um, you know, so do you, do you think that we should invest in, in nuclear power now? Uh, of course, you know, the, the biggest thing is, you know, how long it will take for nuclear power to be ready. But of course, we were having these arguments 10 years ago, I suppose, at the same time. So, you know, do you think it's kind of a worthwhile investment now to, to put money into that? Yeah, you know, the, so, the, so the Green Party was created off the back of um, anti-nuclear energy um, sort of groups back in the 70s, and they proposed every single uh, step of the way, so as well be you know, uh, it was something um, ridiculous, like 100 gigatons uh, of um, CO2 that it saved over its lifetime, yet Green Party opposed it at the time. So it, you, we've had these arguments every single every single decade. Only this morning, um, and Caroline Lucas came out and spoke about, um, you know, opposing the Sizewell, uh, Sizewell C uh, nuclear power plant. The, the arguments on time are, um, nonsensical we've got um we've got an energy crisis as we currently stand we know that we can deliver short-term uh, solutions in terms of quick delivery um wind turbines but you, for instance one of the reactors proposed at sizewell c is the equivalent of over two thousand wind turbines so sizewell c alone is the equivalent of over ten thousand wind turbines what I think gets missed when it, we talk about renewables is the scale, because that nuclear energy is so dense, energy dense, the scale of renewable projects required to even match one nuclear power plant is astronomical. So I, th I think the answer to this is we can, we absolutely in 10 years time need nuclear online. For starters, it's going to just replace our current nuclear fleet and we're not even going to increase the nuclear share for that. Um, but it is important at the same time that we look for um, both government and um, private investment into renewable projects to fill that gap. <clears throat> Sorry. Um, and the cost argument 
is again one that really gets to me. Sizewell C is going to cost something around 60 billion or something like that. Uh, sorry, 20 billion for over 60 years. Um, so 20 billion over 60 years, 60 million homes or something, 3,200 megawatts uh, hours of energy. The offshore wind projects at scale will cost roughly 10 billion over 30 years. So again, you replace that fleet after 30 years, it's 20 billion cost. So the cost of offshore wind, which is lauded as one of the cheapest ways of uh, producing energy, actually works out per kilowatt hour as exactly the same as Sizewell C. So then my argument becomes, well, okay, it's a lot of money up front, and yeah, okay, you split that offshore wind, but we haven't even talked about battery storage costs. So you know that, that 30 billion is just the cost to produce energy and use it on demand. But if we're talking about a 100% renewable proposal for a model for the UK, then you need battery tech into, included into that cost, and battery tech is not going to be cheap. So we haven't really got a cost argument against nuclear, and we haven't really got a time delivery against, uh, time delivered against nuclear, bearing in mind the rollout of EVs, electrifying railway, you know, removing gas boilers and households is only going to ever increase the energy demand. And yes, there's, you know, then there's criticism about waste, but that comes from, I think, and uh, waste is scary, radioactive materials are scary. I work with them on a daily basis, um, and that perhaps neutralizes the fear factor and for, for me um, individually. But there are, uh, there are solutions that are deployed all across the world for the management of nuclear waste, and it's proven to be safe. So the arguments really don't hold up against nuclear. And I think that's why ultimately IPCC finally came up with uh, their report and it included the doubling of nuclear capacity. That is the group, the Green Party are, are pushing um, and showing, using as an example, the experts in using it as an example of what we need to do. And yet conveniently miss the fact that they recommend doubling of nuclear capacity across the across the globe because it is an essential component of us decarbonizing our energy production well thank you so much for that very um concrete answer and uh thank you so much for coming on as well um and it's been fantastic to talk to you oh and you thank you very much <laughs>